Well, for the past four weeks, we have been looking at uh, different aspects of fasting and prayer in an effort to educate about this topic and encourage all of us to see the important role that it should have in our Christian lives. Uh, This subject is widely misunderstood and often uh, incorrectly practiced, if at all, uh, in the church today. And it is our hope that our time spent over these weeks will clear up any misconceptions and help reinstitute it as a spiritual discipline in our lives. So today's sermon will explore how fasting and prayer are involved in our pursuit of righteousness. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 58, uh, I think you might be a bit surprised by what it has to say, as I was. But before I get right into that text, I thought a little review of the main points uh, that we've talked about over the last few weeks would be helpful to get them fresh in our minds. So as we first learned about fasting and prayer and first how it fit into God's plan for our lives, Pastor John taught us how good it was that we fasted together as God's people and we should be encouraged by sharing in it together. He taught us that fasting is about seeking God's face, showing how we should desire him more than we desire the good gift of food. And he also showed us that we fast to advance God's plan by seeking his will for our lives. Next, we learned how fasting and prayer helped us to look forward to the return of Christ. We looked at fasting from a Christian perspective as in comparison to other religions, and that found, we found that for us it is Christ-centered, seeing how his life, death, and resurrection have fundamentally changed the way we think about fasting. We learned that Christian fasting is future-focused, looking forward to the consummation of all God's promises when the bridegroom returns for his church. And we learned how Christian fasting is kingdom-driven as we seek to see more and more of Christ's kingdom become visible in this world. Then John taught us about fasting and praying for the reward of God. It was very instructive as we learned from the book of Matthew some specific direction from Jesus concerning fasting with spiritual integrity, looking at our motives and how we view our hunger. We also learned about fasting in the pursuit of spiritual intimacy, wanting to be seen by the Father and not by men. This will be important to keep in mind as we consider our scripture for this week. And then last week, Pastor Richard brought us a great message from Ezra about fasting and prayer in faith. And we learned the importance of humbling ourselves before God and trusting in his protection and plan for our lives. So with this in mind, let's take a look at today's text. So if you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. Isaiah 58. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find one under one of the seats in front of you. And our text for today can be found on page 617. 617.
Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. They ask, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread, bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover flesh, It sounds at first glance like the people are approaching fasting in just the way that we've been talking about over the past few weeks. But for some reason, God, in speaking to Isaiah, is obviously not pleased. The seriousness of the issue is shown by the way God tells Isaiah to address it. He doesn't say to calmly take them aside and and let them know there's an issue that needs to be addressed like Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos aside to talk with him. Instead, Isaiah is told to shout at the top of his voice. He's told to lift up his voice like a trumpet. 
The blowing on a ram's horn was the primary way used to get the attention of all the Israelite people at once. Its piercing blast said to them, Stop what you're doing and pay attention. The message Isaiah is to give to them is that they are in sin. As a people, they are transgressing against God. So who are these sinners and what are they doing wrong? Well, the scripture says they are people who seek God daily, who delight to know his ways, people who ask for righteous judgments and delight to draw near to God. They are fasting and they are humbling themselves. That doesn't sound like sin. Isn't this exactly what we've been talking about over the last few weeks? Maybe and maybe not. Before we answer that, let's look at some other verses in Isaiah chapter 1 where God gives the people a similar message. In Isaiah 1, he says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Well, the warning in both of these cases is for us not to substitute religious fervor for righteous living. Religious fervor for righteous living. From the outside, their religious practices appear worthy. They are diligent in seeking God daily. They are fasting together as a people. They are devoted to seeking God's face. But while all of this is going on, God says they are not doing righteousness and they are forsaking his justice. How is this possible? Well, the people's actions are similar to those of the hypocritical Pharisees Pastor John taught us about from Matthew 6 that fasted in order to be seen by others. Except here, the, pa- the people are fasting and doing other religious things to try and put God in a sort of spiritual headlock and make him do what they want him to do for them. He is their bubblegum machine God that they put a fasting quarter in and expect that a blessing will pop out. They are treating God the way the pagans treated their gods. Their religious fervor is just a veneer. It is a shell on the outside that houses a selfish, 
self-focused heart. They are, the, they are depriving themselves of food only in order to get gain from God. Listen again to their complaints. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Can you just see them stomping their feet and clenching their fists? Their faces are probably all scrunched up and their voices are whiny. It's not fair. We have made the payment in fasting. Now God must produce the goods. But God then tells them why their fasting is unpleasant to him. Behold, he says, just a side note, when the all-powerful creator of the universe says, Behold, we should stop what we're doing and pay attention. Behold, when you fast, on the same day you are seeking your own pleasure. When you fast, you are oppressing other people. Behold, when you fast, you end up quarreling and fighting. And really, it's no wonder. For those of you who have kids, how cranky do they get when they're hungry? How cranky do we get when we're hungry? You can imagine a whole crowd of hungry, cranky people who are all just going through religious spiritual motions just for some personal gain, but God is not responding. No wonder fights broke out. But God tells them in no uncertain terms, fasting like they have been doing will not get God's attention. How ironic is it that the people are asking God to work his righteous justice in their lives and longing for his nearness? If he actually answered this request, it would be an unpleasant experience for them. So God tries to explain to them what a fast should be. A fast is not a job description, but a doctor's prescription. Not a job description, but a doctor's prescription. God does confirm that fasting is intended and that the people should be humbling themselves, expressing sorrow for their sins, and it should be a day acceptable to the Lord. However, the people have ritualized the whole exercise into the bowed head, sackcloth, and ashes, a job description. If they followed all the requirements of their job, they would expect to receive a paycheck at the end. Even the imagery used in bowing the head down like a reed shows the unthinking formality of it all. It's just an automatic response as uncomprehending as a reed that is bent over by the wind. Then verses 6 and 7 gives us God's vision for a fast. They give us the doctor's prescription, a holistic view of life and our spiritual well-being. God says, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. 
at first glance, this seems to have nothing to do with fasting, at least from the perspective of abstinence from food at all. So how are we to understand this? Remember the verses we read from Isaiah chapter 1, where God seemed to be berating the sacrifices of the people and saying how unworthy they were. In both instances, the point was not to say that they should quit making sacrifices or here to say that they should quit fasting and humbling themselves. It's the use of hyperbole, deliberate exaggeration for effect to make a point. So what's the point? Keep in mind the prescription here. If we look back to chapter 1, here's what God says the people should do. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. Does that sound familiar? God is telling the people and us today that the external expressions of religion are not necessarily bad. Fasting, praying, sacrifices, but they are not enough by themselves. It comes down to a matter of the heart of the worshiper. The heart of the worshiper. What really pleases God is the true combination of both internal and external expression. John Oswald describes it in this way. When God's nature has become so much a part of a person's being that the worship expresses a love for God, which is so deep that it must overflow in our treatment of others, especially those weaker than we. This is the core message throughout all of Scripture. In Leviticus 19, It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. In Matthew, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. In Romans chapter 13, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in Galatians, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. A pretty consistent message throughout all of Scripture. Being hungry and afflicted yourself is not enough. God is not concerned about the technicalities of your fasting. You hear people talk about, well, can we drink water while we fast? Or how long do we really need to fast for? That is not the point. We need to remember the things that John and Richard have taught us thus far about fasting. The focus on God's plan, not our own. The focus on the return of Christ, 
not our own advancement. The focus on the reward of God, avoiding hypocrisy in our motives. And the focus on fasting in faith, humbling ourselves and trusting in God. There's nothing against self-denial here. The point is, what end is it serving? If we want to deprive ourselves, let's do it for the sake of the hungry, the needy, the oppressed, not for the sake of our own religiosity or religious appearance. God's nature expressed through his son, Jesus Christ, is to give himself away to those who can never repay him. Our actions during the week as we go through our lives apart from this congregation test whether or not we are really serious about getting rid of sin in our lives and becoming more Christ-like in righteousness. There is no clear evidence of the presence of God in a person's life than to see them imitate this behavior of serving others, of loving your neighbor as yourself. Finally, in these scriptures, we see the prognosis if we follow the doctor's prescription. We see healthy righteousness promised. Healthy righteousness promised. The people in verse 3 were lamenting that God had taken no action in response to their fasting and humiliation. Now notice the action words God uses to describe his promised response to a fast that is pleasing to him. Light will break forth. Healing shall spring up. The Lord will answer and the Lord will guide you. There's no earning wages here. The spiritual blessings promised can never be earned on an equal value to what we contribute. It is as the Lord empowers us in his gracious righteousness that we are enabled to live righteous and holy lives in his presence. Then, just to be crystal clear, God gives some concrete examples of behaviors we need to eliminate from our lives and behaviors we need to foster in our lives. Isn't this the essence of sanctification? The process of putting off sin and putting on righteousness, becoming more and more Christ-like in our daily walk. God tells us we need to take away the yoke from our midst. Take away the pointing finger and take away speaking wickedness. These aren't familiar terms to us, so what do they look like practically in our lives? Well, removing the yoke means to remove burdens from others as much as it is in our power. Live to free people and not to burden them. Jesus himself tells us that his yoke is easy and his burdens are light. The pointing finger is a little more unclear, but speaks to the removal of mocking people or having contempt for people or pointing your finger at someone in scorn. And speaking wickedness is obvious. We need to watch what we do with our words. 
The books of Psalms, Proverbs, and James are full of references to the tongue and how it can be used for good by confessing the lordship of Christ or be used in bad ways, in lying or flattering. In response, we need to pour out ourselves for those who are around us, specifically the hungry and the afflicted. This is not just putting some money in the offering plate or putting some money in the Salvation Army can at Christmas. This is a change in your lifestyle, a way of living your life in service to other people. The promised results from the doctor are many. Now, the language in verses 8 through 12 is very figurative, much like the promises in Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, and they are, not, are they transactional? No. If we give to the needy and hungry, we will not always have strong bones. Okay, that's not how it works. Because that's exactly the trap that the people at the beginning of the chapter were falling into, thinking that their relationship with God was transactional. Again, putting that fasting quarter into the bubblegum machine God and expecting a certain result. But they are also literal in a sense that they allude to the good things that Scripture has promised that God has planned for our lives. And as I always tell my kids, those good things are not necessarily painless and always fun to go through, but God promises that they are good. If we have the light of God in our lives through a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son, if we are listening to and walking in the Holy Spirit, we can still find ourselves refreshed and strengthened in our bones when we find ourselves in the scorched places of life. We can be like a watered garden, healthy and strong in the spirit, and be like a spring of water that does not fail, having the gifts, the resources, the energy in abundance, in abundant supply to pour out and give to others in a life of love and service. And finally, though we live in this fallen, sinful world, though we see all around us the destructive power of sin in people's lives, God is stronger than our sin. It has already been defeated through the perfect plan of the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. In these final verses, God reminds us that the day is coming when the glorious perfection in which God created this world will be manifest again. The ancient ruins will be rebuilt. The streets restored to dwell in with the coming of the new heavens and earth. Those who know Christ as their personal Savior will be raised up as the foundation of many generations for a thousand years. John Oswald said in conclusion, if persons 
will live out God's freedom in their relations with one another, then the satisfaction that they have been seeking in their religion will be theirs. If we make that satisfaction an end in itself, trying to grasp it for ourselves, it will elude us. But if we make God our focus through others, it will fall upon us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the word we received through Isaiah today. Lord, we pray that we as people and we as a church, that we would have a heart for others. That the things that we do when we come together for worship or as we live out our lives, that they are not just veneers, but they truly are the heart of what is inside us, Lord. And those are hearts that do seek after you and do long for fellowship with you and long for your justice and do so in a way that it flows out into acts of kindness and love and service and holiness in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Son who has conquered sin in this world in such a way that we are enabled to live lives that can express the service and love that you have for others, though we still live in this sinful world. And Lord, we just pray that through all of our actions as individuals and as this church that you call Crossway would be done for your honor and glory. And Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.